standing for today's New Testament reading. We're reading today from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Meryl, for reading our lesson this morning, and grace and peace to all of you in the name of Christ. Uh, what a joy it is to be with you on what feels like an early winter day uh, today. We welcome each of you. I want to add my word of greeting to that of Casey's and also to those of you online. What a privilege it is to be with you in worship and to share in God's word uh, with you all today and also in the sacrament. Uh, it, is, it is just wonderful to be able to come back together uh, in using the method of intinction where the bread will be shared with you in the cup and we look forward to that special time as well. Uh, I wanna add just a word of thanks to our vets as well. Uh, we had a marvelous time on Thursday with the luncheon. Uh, their names, of course, are in your insert, uh, on your insert in your bulletin. And also, uh, they're the names of the confirmands. Uh, we have a fourth service this afternoon that we'll be sharing at 1 p.m. here in the sanctuary with 86 of our students who will come before us at this altar and profess their faith in Jesus Christ. It is a significant milestone moment, not only for them, but for the life of the church. A number of their families will also be joining. It's kind of like starting a new church at one o'clock this afternoon with all of these young people that some are saying, Casey, may be the next greatest generation. Uh, which we see some of that early on in these 11 and 12 year olds. And please remember them in your prayers. You have their names. Uh, you may not know all of their faces, but you have their names in your bulletin and we invite you to remember them uh, in your prayers. Thanks also to the Asbury Choir and to all who've led us in worship on this special day. Gigi, you've already heard a great sermon from Gigi. Uh, I'm gonna sing the second verse of her sermon uh, here in just a few moments and then we'll come to the table. Well, if you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that we're in the middle of this series called We Are, and we've read again, Meryl, you've read for us again from Jesus's signature sermon, an excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. We've been thinking together uh, during these four weeks about our identity in Christ. And the inspiration for this series I've mentioned a couple of times came from George Barna's survey of people in the United States who said that they had given of their resources, their finances to charitable causes, including the church. And when asked why by Mr. Barna, why do you give? 78% of Christian people said, it's because of who we are. Not because of who asked or the way that, that we were asked, it's simply a part of our DNA. And that survey inspired me to dig a little bit deeper on this issue of identity. And to ask the question, who are we as offspring of God? Who are we 
as children, sons and daughters of the Most High God, as followers of Jesus. And so we've asked you to fill out two cards, the commitment card, the financial estimate of giving for our mission and ministry in 2023, and also the heart card. Uh, I have a heart for blank. Uh, we've had many of you respond the last two weeks, and as promised, we have the word cloud. Again, it's updated from last week so that you can see as a whole as we're mining the field for the way that God has hardwired us for ministry. The larger words, of course, are those that are repeated by you. And as you can see, most of this has to do with, with people, with children is the number one answer. I have a heart for children connecting children to faith, for family, for youth, for scripture, for prayer, for missions, for creation, and so on and so forth. We're asking you to do this because we want at least a thousand cards. And so you can pick one up as you leave today, the usher's desk or the connections desk, so that we can continue to share the responses of how God has wired us for ministry. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the scriptures to help us with our identity. For example, 1 Peter says to us, we are a priesthood of believers. And we said that that doesn't mean you have to have a bishop lay his hands on your head. You don't have to wear a stole or stripes on your arm. Your ordination is in the baptismal bowl. If you have professed faith in Jesus, you are a witness. You are part of the ministry of all believers. Week two, last week, we used Jesus' own words how Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are that which preserves the culture, flavors, purifies, and brings healing. This morning, we see from what Merrill has read that Jesus characterizes us as being light that illumines the darkness. I want us to read the text again because this is one way that I can assure that all of you are reading scripture. So let's read this passage together as a whole. You ready? You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Ancient rabbis often referred to God, to the Lord, as being the light. And what they meant by that is that God is the source of all wisdom. God is the source of all truth. God is the source of our salvation. But ancient priests and rabbis also spoke of the scripture, the Torah, as being light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The ancient priests and rabbis also referred to the nation of Israel as a light to the nations. That ethnic group that was to give illumination to the experience of, of God's existence in the world. You see this multiple times in the Old Testament. You see it mostly in the prophets, Isaiah 42. God speaking says, I have given you, O Israel, as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind. 
You see it again in Isaiah 49, God speaking, I will give you Israel as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In Matthew 4, just a chapter before our lesson this morning, Matthew, the gospel writer, interprets another passage, Isaiah 9 verse 2, as pointing to and being fulfilled in Jesus. Galilee of the Gentiles, he writes, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And the next verse, Jesus is preaching. In John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus actually refers to himself as the light. It's one of the seven I am sayings in the fourth gospel. I am the light of the world, says Jesus. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, in shadows, but will always have the light of life. And lo and behold, in Matthew 5, Jesus actually goes so far as to declare that those of us who follow him are the light of the world. Again, like last couple of weeks, Jesus speaks in the indicative. He doesn't say you should be light, you could be light, you ought to be light, you better be light. He just says you are light. It's who you are. But in this case, unlike the last two weeks, the indicative comes with an imperative. Because you are the light, you can't hide it. And why would you? You can't conceal it. We're not called as disciples of Jesus to privatize the light. And those who would have you keep your faith private from the public don't really know what they're asking. Faith is not some kind of esoteric clandestine thing that needs to be kept under wraps or under cover. You can't conceal it. In fact, I think invisible light is an oxymoron. Invisible light is no better than tasteless salt. Light that loses its shine is of no real benefit to anybody. I attended a lecture recently by a man named Christian Smith. You may have read some of his material. He's a Catholic. He is a sociologist at Notre Dame University. I was at Emory University for a board meeting, and he gave a lecture that afternoon on the changing religiosity of America. He spoke of a deep disenchantment in our modern world. He said, and I quote, in a secular culture such as ours, where we have taught that we are nothing but matter and tissue, we have thoroughly demythologized life of all its mystery. And what's happened in the process is we've lost a sense of meaning and purpose and identity. Consequently, Dr. Smith says, we have lost our humanity. When we lose our sense of wonder, we become a little less human. Says Dr. Smith, listen to this. We moderns suffer from an ecstasy deficit. 
And he's not talking about drugs. He's talking about wonder. He's talking about transcendence. He's talking about mystery. He says oftentimes what's happening now is rather than turning to the light, we actually embrace the darkness. And sometimes we find ourselves attempting to re-enchant the culture in pagan ways. He has a name for this, a culture, where he's tied two words together, occult and culture, because he says what's happening in the culture now is we're dabbling in all sorts of things, taking a little bit of this, a little pinch of that, and we're creating spiritual alternatives to the light that gives us a hint of mystery but cannot possibly sustain us. We sometimes prefer the darkness to the light, believing somehow that our shadow self is more authentic than the light. I don't know if you're aware of this, I hate to break the news to you, but we all have a shadow self It's that part of us that we're afraid of and that we don't want anybody else to see. A public, a private, a shadow self. But we have to expose our whole selves to the light. We have to acknowledge the the shadow without embracing the shadow. I, I may be wrong, but I think this is why Jesus criticized hypocrisy so harshly. Jesus doesn't hate sinners. But Jesus struggles with those who pretend that we are not sinners. He struggles with that. We have to face the shadow self without embracing the darkness, without exposing the darkness. I read an interesting quote the other day that the person I call an enemy is often an exaggerated aspect of my own shadow self. And the shadow is a part of who we are but it's not all of who we are. It's not even the primary identity of who we are. I don't have to tell you, but as disciples of Jesus in the Wesleyan lineage, we don't believe that any person is hopelessly depraved. We don't give up on people. We acknowledge that we're all tarnished by sin, and if you don't, you can never really get to salvation We're all stained by sin, but there's more to us than that. There is a spark within every person in the sound of my voice. There is a spark of the divine within us that mirrors the image of God and can be ignited by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. Let me give you an example. You know, it's interesting when you live in the Southeast that if people complain about the climate yesterday, today is a whole new day. It seems like we went from 75 to 29. It was 29 on my deck this morning, and I had enough sense last night to check the thermostat to make sure that the heat would come on. But I was reminded that several years ago when we were in Atlanta, that same kind of thing happened. I checked the thermostat before I went to bed, and I woke up at four in the morning, and it was 62 degrees in the house a little bit cold in the house. So I went to the furnace to see what the matter was and guess what I found? The pilot light had gone out. Now I don't have to tell you that when the pilot light goes on, the house gets cold, right? 
you cease to be warm. And it occurred to me that something like that can happen too, even in a church. When the light goes out, the church can grow cold. Jesus is our pilot light. When I become infrequent or uncaring about my worship life, when I stop devoting myself in the morning to God's word, when I quit praying, when, when I'm not sharing or giving or loving, it's like the pilot light goes out. I've discovered that the light of Christ in us is not self-generated. You have to be lit from the outside. God will light us from the outside and you are light. Jesus said it, that, that's just who you are. And because you are light, you have to stay lit so that you can shine. That's the imperative, let your light shine. Not for self-glorification, not so that somebody can pat you on the back and say, what a good girl boy am I, but for the sake of others, for the sake of the world, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Notice the emphasis is not on good words. Words are not enough. The emphasis is on good works. Our witness shines not through primarily what we say, but through what we do. Unless we are becomes we do, <laughs> it's just lip service, it's just invisible light, it's tasteless salt, it's unpriestly priests. What does it mean to let it shine? It means that others can actually see Jesus in you. It means that Jesus is evident in my conduct, in my behavior. It means that how I use my time and money is a sign of Jesus within me. It's how you treat your employees, your colleagues, your students, your teachers. It's even the way that you treat your server at the lunch table this afternoon. It's how we relate to a stranger in need or a neighbor nearby, our friends, even our enemies. It should even impact the way we drive. You say, Pastor, you've gone from preaching to meddling now. There's some things that just can't happen. But it's every conceivable part of who we are. The pilot light has to stay lit. Let me give you a couple of examples and then we're gonna prepare to come to the table. I love the writing of Anne Lamott, yes? Some of you know Anne Lamott. She's written a book called Stitches, among others, where she tells a story that she heard from her pastor one Sunday. She said, my pastor told a story in worship one day of a sparrow, a bird lying in the street with its legs straight up in the air, sweating a little under its feathery arms. A war horse walks up to the bird, sees the bird lying with stretched arms, and says, what on earth are you doing? And the little bird replies, well, I heard that the sky was falling, and I wanted to help. The horse laughs, a big, loud, sneering neigh, and says to the little bird, do you really think that you're going to hold back the sky with those scrawny little legs? And the sparrow looked up and said, one does what one can. That's how you let it shine. 
by doing what you can. Teddy Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have right where you are. Don't let the fact that you can't do everything keep you from doing something. Do what you can for love's sake, for Christ's sake. And when you step up, the house warms up, the community lights up, the people get fired up, and God shows up. <laughs> Last word, and I mean it this time. Most important people in worship today are not the preachers. They're not even the music directors. They're not the ushers. They're not the servers. They're not the liturgists, the greeters. The most important people in this worship service are right over here. Grayson, Reese, the acolytes, because at the beginning of the service, you bring in the light. You remind us when you bring in the pilot light, the fire, you remind us of who we are. We're light. And you come to a table that facilitates bread and wine and two candles. One represents the divinity of Jesus, the other, the humanity of Jesus. This is the incarnation of God. They bring in the light and they light the two candles. The human Jesus identifies with us. The divine Jesus forgives us. Lord and Savior on the table. At the end of the service, what you all will do, I hope, is you will take your tapers during the last hymn, just helping out a little bit here, and you'll light your tapers, you'll extinguish the light, but the fire won't go out because the fire is inside of us and you're leading us with the light from worship into the world so that our lights can shine out there <laughs> in a way that says to the world, glory to God. You can't just get the light in. You have to get it out. It's who we are. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And we are becomes we do <laughs> to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen.